Welcome to the Strange Harbors podcast, a weekly discussion of film, television, and pop culture. My name is Jeff Zhang, and tonight I'm joined by Amir Toure and Eric Wong. So this week we are catching up with HBO's The Last of Us. Two weeks ago, we covered the pilot episode and decided to check in on the show every other week. So tonight we will be discussing episodes two and three of the first season, titled Infected and Long Long Time, respectively. Episode two is directed by showrunner Neil Druckmann, and episode three is directed by Peter Hoare. Both are written by Craig Mazin. Should we give this podcast an unofficial title while we're covering The Last of Us? (laughs) The Pod of Us? The last of pod. <laughs> the pod of us. <laughs> if we can come up with a good one, you know, yeah. I'd have to stop and think about it. Yeah, so I think we'll dive straight into spoiler territory. If you're listening to this podcast, I'm sure you've seen both episodes already. Um, we'll be covering both episodes two and three. Both I give Fs to. <laughs> For different reasons, Episode right? two, because you killed Anna Torv. Automatic <laughs> F. Uh, way too early to be killing Anator. That's fucking unforgivable. And episode three, I think every showrunner needs to pay a hefty price in blood for any episode that goes over an hour. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding, though. I'm kidding. I actually really, really enjoyed both episodes. Some things to talk about, some uh, things I'm a little conflicted about. I don't think I'm as high on episode three as some other people, but episode three is a big one, so we'll save that for... Just got a uh, cold later heart, discussion. man. I don't have a cold heart. <laughs> I don't have kidding. a cold heart. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Listen, I'm not made of stone. Let's start with episode two, right? Titled Infected, like Jeff said. Again, this is another episode where we have a cold open. One that doesn't take place in the games. Uh, one we're not privy to if you play the games. So it was really interesting for me, you know, a person that loved to play the games. We start in Jakarta. We meet this professor, Ibu Ratna. And she is a, I'm sorry, what is the official title? She's a mycologist. So she studies fungus. Yeah. Mm -hmm. She's shown some like cells to evaluate. And then she is in this highly sealed examination room where she performs this autopsy on this body. She cuts into it and starts to see there's growth under the skin. And then, of course, she like pulls out these, I think the correct terms like mycelium, right? Out of her mouth. And, you know, she definitely freaks out because. This is kind of goes hand in hand with what we got described last week uh, with that cold open, those two gentlemen talking, this understanding of this fungus that takes over the body and then wants to spread. And, you know, we saw the tendrils last week coming out of the mouth of the grandmother, the neighbor. When we see these things being pulled out of the mouth, we definitely recognize what's going on here. This can very well be seen as the inception point, right? This isn't patient zero because she was bit. But this is very early on. This is even before, like, breakout day, as described in episode three. And then, you know, we learn that talking through with this officer that pulls her into the situation that, you know, this person worked at a flour and grain factory. They were bitten by someone that was infected. That person was shot dead. This person was shot dead. Everybody that was basically bit was shot dead. But they don't know who or what infected the original person. and. This person asks, 
the professor, like, what do we do? You know, this is taking place in Jakarta. So like this whole scene is in Indonesian. It's all spoken in a foreign language. We have subtitles, but there's one very distinguishable word that all of us recognize. And like she says, bomb. She basically tells him like, there's nothing you can do. You basically have to bomb the city, which is crazy. It's very extreme. Like, what did you guys think of the cold open? I think the cold opens have been great. Yeah, it was cool. Mm-hmm. At least for the first two episodes. Very effective. Some diversion from the game that adds a little texture to the show. Yeah, I've been liking these cold opens. And this one, I think, confirms like one of the theories that people had in the first episode that it was like mm-hmm. originated from like flour or, I don't know, yeast or something. Mm-hmm. Where did that theory come from? Because Joel and Sarah, they avoid all, like, baked goods in the first episode. They do it, like, multiple times. Oh, interesting. They ran out of pancake batter, so they couldn't make pancakes. Sarah doesn't eat the cookies that the neighbors give her. And then Joel forgets the cake at the end of the episode for the birthday, right? So, oh, okay. Joel also says he's on Atkins and doesn't oh, accept yeah, those yeah, yeah, biscuits that's right. that are like fed into that grandmother's mouth, you know? So it's oh, like... Oh, wow. I didn't make those connections. Especially because I think, you know, Jakarta isn't really like something that sticks out for me as a gamer either, a person who played the game. So, and I think that happened with a lot of people too. And people realize like Jakarta is one of the world destinations for grain factories. It's mm-hmm. one of the biggest productions of grains and like flowers. So it makes sense that if it's tied to flour, it would start there. Yeah. This basically pushes that theory along, and then by episode three, it's confirmed. Because uh, there's a scene in that we could talk about later. So now, past this cold open, we have this quick scene where Ellie wakes up and convinces them to not kill her. That was pretty funny. She wakes up and like she's being watched. And, uh, you know, we get past that. And we get a lot of uh, exposition this episode, you know, revealing that Boston was also a city that was bombed. There was a lot of talk about super infected, which I kind of want to come back to, but we can come back to a little bit later when we get a little bit more into what I want to bring back is a little bit of theory corner, um, Derek's theory corner. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) But we can get back to that later and closer to the end of this episode. So there's two big set pieces I think we should probably discuss in this particular episode. The first one being at the museum. And then Mm. the second being at the state house, right? The Capitol. Okay, so I found this episode to be a little stronger than the pilot episode. Mm -hmm. I think this straightforward journey from like point A to point B. Well, it's not really straightforward because one of the quibbles I have with this episode is laying out the geography of where they're trying to go. I don't think it's like entirely clear what they're No, it's not clear to me at all. Doing. In the end, I don't think it really matters, but No, it doesn't. I feel like they could have clarified a little bit about like what point they're trying to get to because there's the museum and then there's the Massachusetts State House where they are in relationship to each other isn't like that clear in the establishing shots or even in like the exposition. Mm-hmm. But I did like that this was kind of like a streamlined episode, way smaller in scale than the pilot where it had to cover so much ground with setting up all the characters. This episode is just basically Joel, Tess, and Ellie trying to make contact with the fireflies, right? Yeah. Actually, sorry, before we actually get to the museum, there is yeah. one probably big scene we should talk about is where they see the infected, right? That's why they couldn't just cut across really quickly. They yeah. had to go through the museum. And we learned that the fungal infection is a network that is connected between the infected people. But then there's also like this network of fungal vines that I guess grow underground and like kind of connect them. So this is a big change from the games, right? We talked about last week games 
you know, a lot of it's really spread through spores and bites. There is no fungal network mentioned in the games. So really, th- this is, but that's like yeah. a feature of mushrooms and fungus. I feel like they exactly. should have yeah. <laughs> incorporated that into the game somehow. I mean, this totally yeah. reminds me of that episode of Hannibal with the mushroom guy, where he's talking about like the same properties of the fungus and. Even like, uh, I know we never covered the show, but Star Trek Discovery, like the mycelium network. That's right, yeah. They have like the spore drive, which is like a precursor to the warp engine. And that's based on like this fungus network too, you know? Yeah. So it's like a real life thing. Yeah, it is. And I think that's similar to how we cover the Watchmen podcast. HBO has their own official podcast, and this mm-hmm. is the same. It has the official one where like, every week it dives in with like Neil Druckmann and, and Mason talking about the episodes. And one thing you learn from that is that Craig Mazin pitched this to Neil Druckmann. Neil Druckmann's like, oh my God, that's brilliant. Why did I think of it? Kind of admitting like, you know, like we didn't have it in the games. And uh, I'd be interested like to see if there is a third game, if he is influenced by this concept. And yeah. maybe we might see it in the game eventually. But yeah, it is something that is found in nature. So like, it does seem very natural to what could occur with this infection. So, like, I do think it's a great addition to the show. It's cool as hell. I, I really do yeah. like it. What were you going to say, Amir? I didn't realize it was an addition to the show, so that's really cool. Good for them. They're adding little things that are adding to the show. I like that. So, like I said, there's a big set piece in the museum, right? And their way is blocked because of this huge horde of sleeping zombies in the ground. And they have to go through this museum that, at one point, was not safe. You know, it was marked not safe by Tess and Joel, but now potentially could be safe. You know, we learn a little bit about the world that this vine network sometimes dries up and that's like a way to know it's potentially safe. So they think like, well, let's just test it out and let's go through this museum to find out that it is not safe. And this is our very first time we get to meet what in the game is called a clicker. So what did you guys think of this infected and like the design of it? Um, they're cool as fuck. I'm not gonna lie, I like them. Uh, I think the weird, like, eyelessness of them makes them really feel really alien. Mushrooms, mm-hmm. like, look really cool in real life, and they made these look really cool, I thought. I like that they seem to be blind, and they kind of hunt you by sound, it seems like. Mm-hmm. And then I think the sounds that they make are really creepy and distinctive, so... I really like the design of these, well, I don't know, zombies, for lack of a better word, and, and, and I really liked the action sequence in the museum. It made... Yeah. The zombies feel really dangerous and scary. Like, there were three people, two of them with guns, and just, like, two of the zombies were scary enough for you to be like, oh, my God, they might not make it out. Mm-hmm. Which which I was really surprising for me, because I was like, oh, these are, like, super experienced smuggler tough guys. And yet, just even two zombies is a big deal for them. So I thought it set the scope really well and made it scary. I mean, spoiler alert, like, Two out of the three really don't make it because, like, <laughs> Ellie's immune, but she gets bitten, right? I mean, she makes it, obviously, because of the immunity. But, like, if she wasn't right. immune, she'd be a goner. And then Tess gets bitten and she dies by the end of the episode. So, uh, these fucking zombies gave them a run for their money, for real. Yeah. What'd you think of the design? Yeah, I was gonna ask Jeff. I'm a sucker for practical effects, and it looks like a lot of it is practical. And it looks yeah. fucking great. It looks really great. I feel like there's a lot of fidelity to the game design for the creatures. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. You can probably speak to that more than I can, but it looks really, really good. Yeah. If you watch some of the behind the scenes stuff, they actually talked about how when they first started talking about like the design of the clickers for the show, they actually went away from the game, right? They were just like, hey, let's see if we can maybe think of something that could be inspirational or like really cool for the show. And then they just found out that 
they should just go back to the way they look like in the game because they look really cool in the game. Yeah. To give more context, yeah, these are infected that have been infected longer. Oh, okay. I was just going to ask, like, what's the difference between, like, a regular infected and then, like, a clicker, right? So that's what that is. So they've been infected for longer. The ones you see at the end, most of them, they're called runners, almost Mm. like your traditional kind of zombies. They still can infect you, look mostly human still. And then there's, like, a between a runner and a clicker, something called a stalker. I think that guy at the end of the episode is like closer to a stalker where you start to see more of the mushrooms like growing out of the head and growing Mm. out of the body. And then there's the clickers, right? So your assessment is absolutely correct, Amir. So it's an affected where the spores have grown out of the head and it cannot see. As Joel explains, they cannot see, but they can hear. And that's what the clicking is for. It's almost kind of like this... um, Echolocation. It's like a bat or a dolphin. Echolocation. Thank you. The sonar. And that's kind of how they see. That's the one trait about them in the game is that you have to be really quiet. They can fuck you up in one go. Uh, So yeah, these things are terrifying. And personally, I loved it too. Seeing them in live action was awesome. It looks just like the games. They sound just like the games. And it's more the sound than the look that gives me like PTSD. Because like when you play the game and you start hearing that clicking, you're like, shit, I got to deal with some clickers now. Mm -hmm. My only nitpick of the scene is that when you look back at it, like you don't actually know when Tess is bit. That's like one little difference from the game because there is a moment in the game where she's attacked. She breaks free and she in that moment seems fine. But then when you think about it later, you're like, oh, that was the moment she got bit. That doesn't bother me that much. I think, I don't know, the chaos of the action is just obscuring like what you see and what you don't see. It's fine. I do think that it's very stock zombie movie, though, to have someone who's bit and they hide that they're bit. And then in the end, they Mm -hmm. have to like have a noble sacrifice. It's a little bit boilerplate, a little bit by rote. Yeah. I'm glad they didn't stretch it out for like two episodes or something. That's true. But like the fact that they didn't show that, but it all just feels a little cheap, like a little like, all right, we're like skipping to the part where we can just paint by numbers. Like it rubbed me a little bit the wrong way. I get that's how the story goes, but I was just a little underwhelmed by that. Honestly, I was impressed by Neil Druckmann's direction here. Mm -hmm. Yo, it's his first time ever directing TV. He's never directed TV before. Crazy. Action set pieces here are pretty great. They are. Yeah. I think like establishing geography and stuff is a little weaker but yeah i mean the stuff that matters is like the action and it was really really good and like it was really dark in that scene but they did a great job of getting the lighting proper and like making sure that you can see what's going on at least the stuff that matters right i wasn't like pumping up the brightness on my tv or anything it was totally fine to me you could tell where the characters were where the danger was coming from they had like the great suspenseful moment fucking uh Joel reloading the revolver. Uh, the reloading the gun was really great. Yeah. Does that happen in the game too, where you have like a reloaded revolver while like the fucking no, but zombies like, it's are? It's just like it really captures like that feeling of you have to be as quiet as you can. You know what I mean? Like you can't be making noise because the game also plants moments where you step over glass kind of like that and make Uh, make noise so it's a really good small detail him having to struggle to reload a gun it captures the feeling when you play against clickers yeah someone tweeted like joel got an assault rifle 10 minutes into this game it's super fucking unfair or whatever (laughs) yeah very diehard ho 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 now i have a machine gun yeah So after the museum set piece, we get to the Capitol, right? This is getting toward the end of this episode. And we get there and all the fireflies are already dead. The one had become infected and they all killed each other. Um, So this is where Tess and Joel were supposed to take Ellie, right? This is supposed to be the end of their journey, in a sense. And they're just supposed to hand off Ellie. 
and the fireflies were supposed to take them, right? And at this point now, Joel is like, well, this is it. We'll just go back. But Tess wants to keep moving forward, right? She wants to do this almost noble act because at this point she believes, right? She believes in what Ellie is and what it can mean for her redemption as a person, but also redemption maybe for like humanity. And then she reveals that she was bitten during that museum set piece and that this is the end of the line for her and that she wants Joel to continue this journey and get Ellie to Frank and Bill. As much as I like didn't love the whole paint by numbers aspect of this, I think Anna Tor's final speech was pretty affecting. I thought she did a yes. really good job there. Yeah, she's she good. really sold it. Like she's great. And so I'm kind of sad we don't get more of her because she was yeah. really excellent there in trying to sell Joel on an ideal. You know, you can tell that these are typically very cynical people who don't seem to believe in anything. She's trying to sell this cynical guy on an ideal as her dying wish. I think she really makes it work. Look. Joel. This is real. Joel, she's fucking real. I need you to get her to Bill and Frank's. No. They'll take her off your hands. No. They'll handle it from here. No, 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 I can't. They yeah. won't take her. They're they not going to take they her. They will because you'll convince them. Yes, you will. I, I never ask you for anything, not to feel the way I felt, no. not to, will you shut the fuck up because I don't have time. This is your chance. You get her there. You keep her alive. And you set everything right. All this shit we did. Please say yes, Joel. Please. So I did really like that. And I really like the creepy imagery of the infected trying to kiss Anna Torv and the fungal spore things are coming out of his mouth. So that was very effective, gross imagery too, so I like that. I thought that was kind of dumb, though. Like, <laughs> why would she let him do that? I have <laughs> you no know? idea. Like, why is she just standing there, you know? Like, just try and dodge that and light the light. I have no so, idea, like... but it looked cool. <laughs> it looked cool. Yeah. It was cool. But does this parallel the game? Does Tess die this early into the game, or is this kind of, like, accelerated? No, she dies exactly at this moment. Two hours into the game? Yeah, two, three hours, but it is at the state house where she dies. Yeah. But the biggest difference between this and the game is that it's actually not the infected that end up here. It's Fedra that hunts them down and follows them to the state house and kills her. Oh, That's shit. a big difference, right? Um, That's a huge difference. But she's infected too, though, in the game, right? She or... is infected. So she basically sacrifices herself. It's the same kind of concept. She buys yeah. Joel and Ellie some time, but instead of... Uh, trying to stop the infected from getting Joel and Ellie. It's her trying to stop Fedra from getting Joel and Ellie. The Strawburners have talked about the difference. And part of the difference was establishing the whole fungal network thing and then showing what that threat really means for them. But it also, it's partially the show, not abandoning Fedra, but like, because in the games, they're not that important either. I think it was the right choice to show how menacing the infected can be, especially that horde mentality. Oh, I totally agree. I totally agree. I think you come into the show expecting zombie stuff. And if you just have Fedra coming after them in this episode, you won't get zombie stuff until like, I don't know, episode four, because you don't really get that much in episode three either, right? So yeah. I think that choice is a smart one to like, mm -hmm. get more of like a feel for what the zombie threat is like. Yeah. Totally organic and smart move, I think. Yeah. Because no one's here to watch fucking Fedra goons. They want to see the 
mushroom zombies, I think. Yeah. Another kind of interpretation, especially coming from the actors and from the way the script's written, is that it's very much more explicit the relationship between Joel and Tess. Mm-hmm. In the games, it's implied, but it's not so on the nose. Like, you know, in the first episode, we saw like them getting them in bed, in bed together. Other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, this moment becomes a little bit more tender, especially that line delivery when Anatorv's test says, I never asked you to feel the way I felt. There's a lot of layers to that because I think episode one really establishes, you know, Joel and Tess are like this unit, right? That, like, work together and, like, Mm -hmm. smuggle and they're, like, a good couple in that sense. They're a good partnership. But then this episode, I felt like, shows a little bit more the difference between them. And while Joel is so very cold... To Ellie, Tess is much more warm and much more hopeful than Joel. And you definitely see that by the end of this episode. And when she says that line, like, I never asked you to feel the way I did, it almost feels like also that Tess was probably the one that was more in love with Joel than the other way around. Yeah. The other way around. I really love the way she delivered that line. And absolutely, you know, she was the MVP for the first episode for me. And she's still the MVP of this episode for me. Like, I think Anatorv is just so good as the character of Tess. Yeah, I hope we get more flashbacks of her, like in episode three, we see her again. Yeah. Because she's pretty good. She's definitely MVP for me. And uh, rest in peace to Annie Wershing, who played the original Tess in the game. We just found out today that she passed away. Really shocking, actually. She was only 45, leaves behind three kids. Really sad and awful. I really liked her work. Like I really liked her as Renee on 24. She's done a bunch of other stuff, too. I'm pretty bummed it's really sad okay so before we jump into episode three last thing i want to talk about is we'll call this derek's theory corner again so there was a line earlier in the show when they're walking through boston ellie says oh there isn't super infected that throw spore bombs at you and that's how you get infected and like joel and tess laugh it off and then she also says, I also hear there's ones where the spores have busted out of their heads and they only could hear or whatever, and they're completely quiet. Yeah, they're very pointedly, don't laugh at that. Yeah. Yes. And I noticed that too. Yeah. That's the clickers, right? We meet the clickers later in this episode because they have run into those infected and they have dealt with them. So that's right. why they don't laugh at that moment. Okay. This is spoilers for potentially later in the season. So if you really don't want to hear this, you can turn away for like a couple minutes, but that other creature is like a hint of potentially what could be coming because it does exist. (laughs) And we talked about last week, the mask thing, right? The mask not being a part of the show because there are no spores. My theory though, is that there is a potential to bring mask in for maybe like a scene or two when they do run into this creature that actually does throw spore bombs. Like, it actually Mm. throws these things off of its body. When it collides with something, it combusts, and there's spores that are let out into the world. Um, So there is a potential that there might be some mass play later in the season. But also, and this is spoilers for even way beyond here, there is a very important piece of the second game. And it's been announced that there is going to be a season two that will, of course, you know, probably cover the second game that involves a mask. You kind of need the mask to be part of that scene i'm not too sure how they would do it without it so i wonder if they're still thinking about maybe having this creature so that they can still have the mask Mm. so but i don't want to give away like what the creature is and when that might come but yeah this my theory we might still see masks by the end of the season sorry my one wish is that they don't make things resemble boss fights too much i feel like that would really like 
break your immersion. Are there boss fights in The Last of Us? Yeah, there's moments you're definitely like stuck in a room and you're trying to kill this thing that is a bullet sponge. It takes a lot of bullets and a lot of ammo to get it down. So yeah, but there's no like definite boss. I just don't want to see that on the show. I feel like that's no kind of yeah. crappy. Yeah. Bring that like game mechanic into the show. I feel like that would just be breaking the immersion and mm-hmm. I wouldn't like that. But anyway, yeah. moving on to episode three, titled Long, Long Time. Uh, so this one is a little bit different. It doesn't have a cold open, right? We're kind of booked end here with a scene with Joel and Ellie at the beginning and then also a scene with Joel and Ellie at the end. I like the scene with Joel and Ellie at the beginning because we get a little bit more exposition, right? We learn a little bit about the military response. This is that, again, talking about the flower and how the cordyceps spread. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, I think a lot of people were kind of expecting another cold open. And it seems like a lot of the cold opens have been jumping to the past. So this was kind of like a little bit of a reversal, right? Like a lot of the way we jumped into the past was actually our main episode, right? A lot of the Mm -hmm. main episode basically takes place over 20 years, right? Because we jump all the way back to 2003, where we meet the character of Bill. And we learn that he is basically a survivalist, right? While his town of Lincoln is getting escorted to a quarantine zone, he decides like, you know, I'm just going to stay back and I'll just fortify my house. Mm -hmm. And that's what he basically does. Like, I love the little montage of him like going to Home Depot and like, getting all the gas in the area and turning the gas back on. And he's really resourceful. And you kind of see the character he is. Yeah. Bill is played by none other than Ron Swanson himself, Nick Offerman. Yes. I was really impressed by him here, by the way. He's really good as Bill. Yeah, he's great. Yes, he is amazing as Bill. He sets up his house. He sets up all these traps, really fun traps that we'll get to see go off later. But then we jump four years later. In 2007 now, we meet the character of Frank. So Bill's been doing his thing for four years. He's been living alone probably pretty happy with himself but then you know this guy falls into one of his traps and we learn that his name is frank that he comes from the baltimore qz and then he's on the way to the boston qz and it's interesting i mean like four years in i felt it was a little atypical like a lot of these post-apocalyptic worlds they show people that just so untrustworthy so it did kind of take me back when we see the scene between these two human beings that are just full of trust and full of empathy empathy yeah bill's initially very paranoid and untrustful frank but frank is just uh so vulnerable and disarming and just like hey help me out a little bit pushing a little bit okay let me out of the hole it's like all right let's out of the hole it's like hey can i have a meal can i stay over you know like he just kind of keeps pushing at bill's boundaries yeah i mean i've been singing nick offerman's praises but i think frank Murray Bartlett is MVP here. He's so good as Frank, too. Just, like, immediately trustworthy. I trust him, too. I trust Frank, too, you know? Yeah. He's just such a disarming and nice guy. And, like, I mean, I had no experience with the game, so I had no idea what I was in store for. So I thought we were doing some, like, paranoid thriller shit with Bill and Frank. I was not expecting, like, this tender romance between them. Yeah, because Bill feeds Frank, lets him shower, they play the piano together, and then they both quickly understand each other. And Frank knows that Bill's gay, right? It moves very fast where it becomes a lunch, and then, like, basically, they have their first intimate moment in bed. It's so fucking funny, because Frank clocks Bill as gay ten times in two seconds. (laughs) Yeah. Bill cooks him the rabbit, right? That'll come back later. Mm Mm-hmm. And Frank's like, a man who knows how to pair rabbit with uh, Beaujolais, right? Yeah. And Bill's like, I know I don't seem like the type. It's like, oh, no, you do, which is really yeah. fucking funny. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's right, yeah. 
And then, you know, even when they're playing the piano, he's all like, these aren't you. Oh, this is you. And it's like, yeah. the Ron stands long, long time. That's where the title of this episode comes from. Yeah. I mean, I think it was a really beautiful performance when, like, Nick Offerman plays the piano. That's and, like, really gay, too, because... Uh... Frank's playing the piano, and then Bill's like, no, 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 you're terrible at this. I'm yeah, going to yeah, play... You're bad, you're bad. <laughs> I'm going to play Linda Ronstadt, you know? Which is <laughs> fucking hilarious. Frank asks, like, who's the girl? And Bill's like, oh, there's no girl. <laughs> and he's like, I know. Love will abide Take things in stride Sounds like good advice but there's no one at my side And time washes clean Love's wounds unseen That's what someone told me But I don't know what it means Cause I Done everything I know to try and make you mine. And I think I'm gonna love you for a long, long time. It's honestly great chemistry between these two actors. Mm -hmm. I really, really do love this introduction of these two characters together in a very intimate moment. And it then kind of like jump cuts to three years later and like Frank's storming out of the house. They're arguing. This is closer to the relationship that you kind of understand from the game. Yes, I was just going to say. So before we get into that, I just wanted to touch on something that I thought was interesting. Oh, yeah, sure. Interesting how aggressive frank is like he clearly has to take the lead here because directly from wrong is nick offerman's bill a virgin yeah he says that well he's a virgin in a sense like having sex with men right because yeah. he says you know he's only done it once with a woman like long ago but oh mm, okay okay got it i just thought that was an interesting character note i don't know if i've ever seen a post-apocalyptic gay survivalist virgin paranoid <laughs> like, it's a very interesting mix. It's an yes. eclectic mix of characteristics, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, uh, um, sorry, go on to the time skip. So jump to three years later. And well, this is the biggest deviation from the game there is, right? The biggest deviation is the fact that you even get all of this, right? Because yeah, in the I mean, games, you don't That's even exactly see, what I mean. Yeah, yeah, like, you don't see any of this. You never play as Bill or Frank, right? You never see the game in their perspective. You only ever hear about it through Bill's words and a letter. Because in the game, the moment you meet Bill, he's already on his own. Frank was someone that you knew of and was in the picture. But it was definitely someone who had left the situation. And then, you know, you find out what happens to him later. And we'll talk about that later. Yeah. But yeah, so jumping three years ahead, like they're having this fight. Frank's really talking about like, well, he wants to make this his home, right? He wants to paint the houses and do up the stores. And he wants to invite friends. And, of course, the friends that he's talking about are Joel and Tess. I mean, clocking this, going with the timeline, this is seven years into Breakout Day. And it's so interesting seeing the old makeup off Anna Torben, Pedro Pascal, and then also seeing, like, they don't look that disheveled, right? I guess seven years into this, it hasn't quite collapsed as much as I thought it would, because they still look pretty well kept. That's pretty believable. I feel like seven years is a good amount of time. For people to like still care about their appearance, you know, but then mm -hmm. like maybe past that, you're like, all right, 
fucking this world has gone to shit, whatever. You know, <laughs> just kind of let yourself go appearance wise. But yeah. Anator looks great here. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I gotta say. Yeah. I really like this scene because it really shows essentially that Joel and Bill are like the same kind of guy, right? Like in their relationships, they're the protectors of the relationship, but then also like they're harder to trust. They're others, harder. Yeah. yeah, they're mm-hmm. harder to trust others, but they seem a little bit more hardened too. We learned like in the first episode, Joel, he works in construction and like that knowledge becomes very useful here, right? Where he talks mm-hmm. about the fence degrading oh he can get him the good stuff that he knows he could use even in this situation like joel recognizes that bill is there to look after frank right because he says Mm -hmm. like oh your life or lives right he like corrects himself in that instance so Mm -hmm. i I did really like the scene between joel and bill yeah he does warn him of eventually you know raiders are going to come and try to take what's theirs because it is kush right it's really nice yeah I mean, Frank goes from, I guess, wandering in the wilderness trying to find Boston, ending up in a hole, to like, we haven't talked about how nice Bill's setup is. Right. Everybody has left, so he's got the whole resources of the town to himself. He's completely self-sufficient. He's farming all this food. He's got some chickens. I guess he hunts rabbits. He's got running water. He's got gas. So he's got like heat and like electricity and whatever. So he's like very cushy compared to what you think of in a Mm post-apocalyptic. Mm-hmm world right i would describe it almost as like paradise like he's got yeah yeah absolutely yeah and yeah so someone's obviously in a a show about the post-apocalypse someone's gonna try and mad max your ass so (laughs) um you know from this point we jump three years later and and we have this really sweet tender moment between frank and bill where like frank has created this strawberry field for bill and they share some strawberries and i thought that was a really really tender moment i love the way nick offerman laughs in that scene because it actually yeah, really it's like reminds a little me giggle of, it really funny. reminds me of ron swanson, ron swanson yeah because he does that too yeah, yeah 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 but then this is the moment where like the raiders do come right in the middle of the night they come and we see some of bill's traps go off and they're really cool Seeing, like, guys get electrocuted by the fence and, like... Fucking home alone their asses. Set on fire. (laughs) You set on fire, yeah. It's really cool. But in the process, Bill does get shot. Frank takes him inside, takes care of him, and... A little bit of a cheap shot, because, like, the whole point of that is to fake you out thinking that Bill dies, but... Yeah. (laughs) He doesn't. He doesn't. But then also, I think it's a really nice moment. At the end of giving his little rant about what Frank should do, he's like, call Joel, right? And like, Mm -hmm. it tells you that relationship has changed definitely over the years where at least he can trust Joel enough to like say, hey, this could be a person that can take care of the person that I love. Mm -hmm. So I thought that was really telling for their relationship and his understanding of Joel. Yeah. Um, But then now we get the biggest time jump 10 years later, which leads us pretty much into present day where we're at. And... You know, Frank is in a wheelchair. He can't really get around without Bill's help. I love the production design of this episode because we see how much the house has changed in this moment. The colors of the walls are different. The walls are riddled with all of Frank's paintings, which Mm. I really liked. But we see Frank trying to paint a picture of Bill and like he just can't. One side looks really great and the other side's just disheveled. It's really heartbreaking. And we learn that basically Frank wants Bill to kill him. He just doesn't want to live this life anymore where Bill has to take care of him and like he knows he's not going to get any better. He's not going to get cured. Mm-hmm. You know, he wants him to have like this perfect day where they go shopping, they get married, he cooks him a nice dinner, and then he's going to just put a bunch of pills in his wine and they're just going to go to sleep. So they never mention what illness he has, but I'm getting like MS vibes. I don't know. Amir, I think maybe you would know. Yeah, better. that was kind of the direction I was leading in. But yeah. Yeah, the official podcast, they do talk about this a little bit, and he talks about it. It's basically MS or, like, early onset ALS. 
mm. that he's he's suffering from. That like there's no cure, and of course it's not going to get better. You know, really tender moments in this episode. Fucking cheating. Fucking <laughs> soundtrack with Max Richter's "On the Nature of Daylight." You cannot use that song. It is fucking cheating, <laughs> especially especially three episodes into your show. You cannot do that. I am not cool with that. It is fucking manipulative. I'm only mad because it works. Because that music is fucking. It will ruin your shit. It's really sad. Yeah. Um, so if you don't know, it's the song from Arrival. Mm-hmm. And a bunch of other things. If you go to the Wikipedia for Max Richter's On the Nature of Daylight, the use in popular culture section is like 9,000 entries long. So it's very overused, but for a good reason, because it's a very nice piece of music and very, very sad. So there's this whole montage of them having like their perfect day and they get married and then they come back to the house and Bill serves Frank the first meal he ever made for him, the rabbit. Yeah, which I love that detail. So Bill, he serves the wine and it is revealed that he put all the pills in both their glasses. So he's going to go out with Frank. And Frank first says, you know, I should be furious about this. Um, but then he's like, but on second thought, it's actually quite romantic, which it is. Yeah. yeah. What I like about this is it's very sweet because I feel like this is like the best life you could have in the apocalypse. Right? <laughs> Absolutely. This whole three decades with these two characters, they got it pretty good. I mean, maybe, sure, the Raiders shot you up, but it's not bad. It's a pretty good life. They're both old. And usually I have issues with old person makeup, but they did a good job here. I yeah. think Frank definitely looks deathly ill in that wheelchair, and he looks naturally old, and then so does uh, Nick Offerman in the white hair and the yeah. bushy beard. Originally, the plan was for Frank to die in Bill's arms in bed, but now they decide to go to bed together, and that's the last we see of them. And then it's bookended by Joel and Ellie coming upon the house. Mm -hmm. I want to say this is like days later, weeks later, maybe? It's definitely around the same time. Yeah, it's really hard to tell the timing because they find the house. At one point, they get down to the bunker, right? And he says like, oh... If he didn't reset it every couple weeks, it would send out 80s music. So, Mm. like, the idea is that it's only been a couple weeks. But then when you look at the house and the area, it feels like it's been longer. Longer, yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially for, like, dust to collect so heavily like that. I feel like it's been longer. So, it's a little bit weird with the timing. I I found that a little bit off. So, what I I do like about this moment is the letter that he leaves him. And we'll talk about the game differences between this letter, but I did find that I did find that this letter is pretty tender and it definitely affects Joel in the moment, right? You know, when like Ellie's reading it and she stops because she doesn't want to read the line about Tess. And it's about using Bill's supplies to protect Tess, in which we learned last episode he's already failed at, right? Like he can't protect Tess anymore mm-hmm. at this moment. And it's really heartbreaking because you could tell that Joel's like a very cold person that doesn't seem to want to get to know Ellie. The way he defines his relationship with Tess, like even early in the episode, he says, mine, my, and he can't say like girlfriend or like significant other. He just corrects himself and just says, mine. You know, he can't even admit whatever their relationship is. It's really hard for him to open up emotionally. So like for him to get to this point and like can't read the letter and then like he can't deal with it. So he has to leave, you know, walk out and -hmm. then like crumbles a letter. I love Pedro Pascal's acting in this like last scene. Yeah, it's I a thought good it was moment. a really, really good moment. 
Yeah, I, I loved Ellie reading the letter too. It's like mm-hmm. you're the only person who knows how to disarm my traps. I'm <laughs> glad you didn't get fried. She's like, hey, 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 hey. Yeah, that was really funny. I like that. Yeah, yeah. Bella Ramsey's great in this. I love yeah. her like delivery of all her lines. She's really good. And a big theme or, that's been popping the last couple of episodes was like this running joke about her not getting a gun. Right. Mm-hmm. She always wants a gun, but she can't get it. She asks Anatorv earlier in episode two, like, can I get a gun? They're like, no. Oh, I'll just fucking throw a sandwich then. <laughs> At this moment, she gets down to Bill's bunker. He's like, can I just have a gun? There's so many. Like, I could just have one, right? And like, no. Yeah, he's got but like then, a whole wall yeah. rack of guns. Yeah. But she does find what's presumably, I guess, like Frank's gun, right? That gun that Frank pulls out of his drawer earlier in the episode. Mm-hmm. She has now and stashes away in her backpack. So now she does have a gun. Yeah. Uh, before we get into like the whole Bill and Frank of this all and the big differences between this and the game, I do want to say that I had my gripes a little bit with episode one, kind of saying like, this is not the Ellie that I know at the moment. This is starting to get there. Like, I really love that Bella Ramsey is playing her kind of what I remember and like when she gets out into the real world, like she is very much so excited to be in it and so optimistic about it. Talking about like wanting to be on a plane and like when she runs into the Mortal Kombat machine and like yeah, being yeah, yeah. so when excited. When she gets in the car. Yeah, when she gets in like, the car. She's like, oh wow, this is like a spaceship. She's never yeah. been in a car before. And yeah. I liked those aspects. I liked the parts where she was weird in the way that a kid who's born in a post-apocalypse world would be weird. Mm-hmm. I did like Absolutely. that. I didn't get the Mortal Kombat thing. Like, isn't that game 5,000 years old to her? Yeah, it's yeah. kind of weird. Like, what the fuck? I think part of it is, like, product placement in a sense. Because I think, you know, Sony and, like, Warner Brothers have a thing. That's kind of Yeah, lame. because in the game, it's a <laughs> game that's made up for the universe. Yeah, that Mortal Kombat thing yeah. really stuck out to me. I was like, why would a kid who was born a million years in the future, like, give a shit about a game that's old now? Yeah. Like... I mean, I guess yeah. technically it's 2023 at the same time. It's literally happening right now. Yeah, I but guess. if you so think like, about it, like, but any, whatever, yeah, like, any game she runs into, she, yeah. like, she would have never played a video game, right? You know, yeah. anything, so. right? Yeah. I mean, she's born in like 2010. Like, what kid born in 2010? She's cares never even about? been in a car. Yeah. You expect me to believe that she knows fucking Mortal Kombat 2? Get she the fuck reads. out of here. Yeah, she dude. Reads. Yeah. It's like, what the fuck, man? Two little things. One I liked, one I didn't like. For me, the laugh out loud moment of the episode, and it was really like a more, tender and sad and moving episode than a funny episode but the funniest thing in this episode was when frank and bill are fighting and frank's like oh you probably believe that like not loved ones inside job and the government are all yeah. nazis and then nick offerman's like the government are all nazis <laughs> <laughs> and frank's like well yeah now but not yes. then i died laughing at that that one really worked and that is me. very much bill very yeah. much bill from the game yeah and then the one thing that didn't work for me was Ellie stabbing the infected in that, like, little cellar mm, or whatever. Mm-hmm. I thought it was just weird. Like, they're doing some weird, like, Ellie has some kind of bloodlust thing yeah. or something that just isn't working yeah. for me. Like, I don't know. What the fuck was that? I think there's a better way to build that up. I, I think was so that fucking is weird. just kind of reckless because you just activated a network before by killing a zombie, right? I feel like you wouldn't yeah. do that. but It was so weird. But I, I get what they're trying to do. I get what they're trying to do. I'm glad you brought that up because I almost forgot about it. But like, I love the makeup on that zombie, though. That practical yeah, makeup with good. the things mm-hmm. like shooting out of its eyes. I thought that looks so, so great. So another just props for the makeup in the show. But okay, let's dive into like the big differences. All right. So I think talking about the differences and at least my reaction to this mm-hmm. episode is probably going to go hand okay. in hand. And like what I think about the episode. So a lot of people think this episode is like a masterpiece. It's one of like the best 
episodes of TV ever. I don't think I would go that far. It's very good. And it works well as a standalone, like someone could just watch this. Yeah. My thing is that when I finished watching the episode, I was like, okay, I want to see the full letter that Bill writes to Joel. Because you only get like a tidbit of it and Ellie only reads part of it. So I'm like, oh, I want to know like what else Bill said to Joel. And I looked it up on like the Wikipedia or like the Last of Us wiki. And to my surprise, Bill does not write a letter to Joel, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Frank writes a letter to Bill. So, like, this whole episode is this romance, this sweeping romance between Bill and Frank. People are labeling it as one of the greatest love stories ever. I go on the Wikipedia, or, like, the wiki, and read this letter. It says, well, Bill... I doubt you'd ever find this note, because you were too scared to ever make it into this part of town. But if for some reason you did, I want you to know that I hated your guts. <laughs> I grew tired of this shitty town and your set-in-your-ways attitude. I wanted more from this life than this, and you could never get that. And that stupid battery you kept moaning about, I got it. But I guess you were right. Trying to leave this town will kill me. Still better than spending another day with you. <laughs> Good luck, Frank. I'm like, what the fuck? I thought the relationship was pulled from the game, but... The game is way more cruel to these two characters than the show Mm -hmm. is. And as much as I think this episode is great, and I think the love story is very touching and moving, I kind of like this dynamic from the game better. The thing is, when you read it out loud and you just kind of read about the game, like it seems more targeted and more like, like your understanding seems to be like A to B. But like when you're playing the game, the relationship between... Frank and Bill isn't so explicit. Yes, so that's also another thing I liked better when I was reading about the game, because this goes into my criticism of the show from the pilot episode, from the first episode, where the agency you have as a player of the game, of discovering things on your own, that's totally missing from the show, obviously, right? And so... I discovered that in the game, you only run into Bill, and it's hinted that he's gay, and that he only has a partner that he never names. And he, he names him. He does name him. Oh, he names him? Okay. One of the big differences, like, in the game, this is a very action-heavy section of the game that you have with Bill. So, like, the mention of the car battery in that letter, you have to go to the high school in the town, and you have to find a car battery. And that's what that reference is in that letter, is that you're trying to find this car battery because Joel needs a car to get Ellie to what we learned at the end of the episode, Tommy. And in the game, the relationship between Bill and Joel isn't so friendly. They're just kind of like business partners. They're like people that work Mm -hmm. together and Bill owes a favor to Joel. And that's really their relationship. So there is no like Mm -hmm. understanding. There is no connection so in this moment, it's a lot of action. You just have to get this battery, right? And mm-hmm. at some point, you enter a house, and then you see a body hanging from the ceiling, and it and is Frank. Frank. He says, right. oh, that's my partner, Frank. He says something like, oh, only his dumb ass would wear a shirt like that. <laughs> and then he cuts mm-hmm. him down, right? And then you find that letter in the house. You know, he leaves to, to Bill, and you do realize that, you know, they did have this cantankerous kind of relationship where, like... Maybe they were in love, but at the end, you know, Frank really resented Bill and to the point where he would leave and risk his own life. And what you're supposed to kind of get at this point in the story, Neil Druckmann's confirmed this and like talked about this, is that this is a lesson for Joel. 
this is very much a lesson for like, you know, if you shut yourself off from people, it's just gonna make you bitter and spiteful and you mean in, the game, the, in the game. In the game. This is very much a lesson for Joel, right. right? And I like the change in the show because I feel like you get the same message across, but instead of showing like so much disdain and hate, they were able to show that with love. With them being able to relate in the show, having that moment when they have the tea time on the lawn or whatever, them being able to relate and them being able to recognize each other as like the protectors. And then for then Bill to say in his letter, like, hey, I was wrong. I shouldn't have been the way I was. And like my purpose on this world was to protect Frank and that you have someone to protect too. And I like that lesson that moving forward, naturally, Tess is gone, but then it's kind of a lesson for Joel to be like, well, is there someone else that could be like that, right? That I can open up my heart to be their protector. And like, of course, naturally, that's going to be Ellie. I'm a little conflicted on this episode. Before we get into that, like, Amir, what did you think of the episode and like the romance and everything? I thought it was, you know, touching, moving. I don't think the cynical take from the game would have made any waves. No one would have given a shit, I think, if that's what they had done. I think that's part of my problem with it. This feels like a lot of oh, pat myself on the back, like representation, sort of manipulative. Uh- Pulling at the heartstrings slash, like, faux representation. Yeah. Like, I get that, but I don't know. I think people, I don't know, like seeing nice things and sometimes don't like seeing not yeah. nice things. And this was a nice thing. And so <laughs> people enjoyed it. I mean, I didn't, like, cry or anything, but I could see how you would have. Like, it was a really moving story. In, in a way, it does the show a disservice because you care more about these two side characters than you ever give a shit about, like, the main characters in the show. So this critic that I follow, they were pretty much, like, the main character of the Last of Us discussion today on Twitter, and they wrote that, I have very strong feelings about this week's The Last of Us and the changes it makes to the game, particularly turning nuanced queer storytelling into condescending, manipulative gay awards bait. I'll let the piece speak for itself, as I'm fairly proud of it, rather than drone on and on about it on Twitter, but I think Mazin and Druckmann made a huge fucking mistake with this one, no matter how many Emmys they get handed for this maudlin bullshit. (laughs) I don't think I agree with them completely i think they're being very very harsh on the episode because i do like the episode and i do think there's great things about it but i do think that they make a good point Mm -hmm. about it i think this obsession with good representation is kind of hurting our storytelling in this day and age and that's kind of what i feel sometimes about this episode and also i feel like the feel-good nature of this episode and how hopeful it is and how they portray this romance i don't feel like it's earned like this feels like an episode that you would get three seasons into this show right where like you're just beaten Mm -hmm. down by constant disaster and catastrophe and death and they throw you a bone with a little bit of like love and hope and love so when i was watching with ashley before juan even wrote this article i felt you know this feels very like pat yourself on the back and Ashley pointed out that she said she liked it because it showed that like love can even persevere in like such a disastrous time but I feel like you needed more time to like marinate in the disaster than just two episodes and then you get this right I don't know what you guys think I mean I think that point is very valid like I Uh think your point is valid in that in the context of this show but then like in the context of so many post-apocalyptic shows we've seen like in the last 10 years 
where it's like, I don't know, like, it's just nice to have this really nice episode. And like, you have to remember, the last two episodes are really like fucked up, right? Like the first episode, he loses his daughter. Second episode, we lose Anna Torv. You know, maybe we do deserve a little bit of a win. But like, it does flip completely 180 to the other direction where it like, it seems like a little too happy, maybe? Because even by the end of the episode, I'm like, when is the other shoe going to drop? <laughs> I even told that to my fiance. I was like, and it never does. They get like the happiest yeah. ending that you could mm-hmm. ever have on yeah. a show like this, right? So I don't know. Amir, what do you think? I think I liked it overall. I think a more subtle portrayal of this relationship as opposed to putting it front and center works in a game where you're exploring things and finding things out and you're active. But I think in a yeah. TV show where they're feeding you the information... I think there's no point in being coy about it. Uh, you know, even in a book, you could do a lot of things with making it kind of subtle and layered. And, oh, I got to go read read this book. I didn't even realize that they were a gay couple. Holy shit, what did I miss? But I, I think it's more difficult to do that on TV. And I think it wouldn't have been as rewarding. So I guess I agree with them putting the relationship front and center. Whether you think the tone fits, I think, depends on if you think, like, does it have to be just unrelenting horror all the time? Or can you dip in and out mm-hmm. of that? And I, I think I like that they dipped out of that, even if maybe it's a little too early yeah. show. Maybe it's not an earned reprieve. You didn't need that yet. But um, I liked it. I think maybe it is transparently uh, manipulative or awards bait or just modeling or talking at the heartstrings. But I mean, I, I think it worked. I, I thought it was good. Don't worry, Jess. Some fucked up sad stuff's coming. That's what I like to hear. In all honesty, I think three episodes in is a little yeah. too early to be batting for an episode that's you're trying to be like lost the constant mm. or something hey lost needed four yeah, seasons to, to, to that earn episode. that moment between desmond and penny right and like that big emotional swell i feel like it's just a little too early for this if up can do it in the first 10 minutes man why not no <laughs> <laughs> so i did see a really funny tweet i can get into this a little bit more but this is just really funny i'll read this to you there's a scene in The Last of Us game where Ellie finds Bill's porno mag with a dude on the cover and notes some of the pages are stuck together. And some people who played the game are still watching the TV show going, wait, he's what? <laughs> it is, like I said, in the game, it's a bit more subtle. Like, you might even miss it because... Yeah, because you have to, like, you discover, have to discover the note these too. things, yeah, right? Yeah, so, yeah, like, yeah. It's pretty funny. And there's a cutscene in the game, like at the end of this adventure with Bill. And Bill lives in the game. So he doesn't die in the game. He lives in the game. You know, like they take the car, they have the car, and they find this like porno magazine. You know, it's basically dudes on it. That's another hint that Bill's gay. And, but then she jokes like, oh, some of these pages are stuck together. And like, Joe's like, what? And he's like, ah, I'm just kidding. <laughs> my reaction during the episode was I feel like a lot of the rug was pulled under my feet because as a person who's played the game, like, this is way different, right? It's not even close. And like, I thought the episode was going to end where, and I told my fiance, I, was, I looked over, I was like, oh, so this is the episode where we meet Bill and Frank, and then we'll get to the high school stuff next episode. Like, we'll do the adventure mm. fighting zombies next episode to then have me be completely surprised when he dies at the end of the episode. And like, that's it. That's the only episode we're going to have with Bill and Frank. I, I don't know. I've been really enjoying the first three episodes. I'm definitely hooked on the series. Yeah. I mean, I'm not made of stone. This should fucking work for me. So one of the things that Juan said about this episode is that not having Joel and Ellie actually meet Bill is like a negative. There's like a through line to be drawn between Ellie, maybe like in the second game and what Bill is like and not having them even meet is kind of like a disservice to the characters 
I don't know if you agree with that. You can speak to that more than I can because I don't know about the game. Yeah, and it's really hard for me to speak to that without spoiling anything from the second game. So I'm I'm not going to talk okay. about it too much, but I generally and I yeah. read this article too. You shared this with us, so I read this article. Yeah, I I don't agree because I think the lessons that he's drawing what he thinks is coming from Bill, I think actually come more from her relationship with Joel. And mm. I think that all the lessons he says, you know, there's something that Ellie's kind of missing when she's not meeting Bill. She gets those from Joel too. If anything, I feel stronger from Joel. And like I said, in this episode, and it's very much the same in the game, is that I think Bill is more like analogous to Joel and the lessons more pushed off into Joel. Applied, applied to, Joel, to Joel. Not really mm. Ellie. The funnest parts about Bill in the game sometimes are actually the very cantankerous relationship she also has with Ellie. They go at each other a lot mm. and like verbally. And it's really funny because like, you know, Ellie's you've seen from the show is like very unfiltered. And so is Bill and they call each other assholes and like shitheads. And it's really funny. I don't think Bill himself is like this lasting character in Ellie's mind if I were to put myself in Ellie's shoes. But again, I don't completely agree with him. Yeah. Yeah. I, I did like that they still brought in humor in this episode with like Bill and Frank. There's a lot of humor. Mm -hmm. The last thing I'll say is I'm not going to spoil it. There's a really cool action set piece in the game that involves Bill. And like, I don't know if they'll bring it into the show. I don't want to say some, some other, other way, way but maybe. Yeah, mm -hmm. I thought it was a really cool action set piece. So. I, I hope maybe they don't abandon it, um, but we'll see. Uh, but is there anything else you guys wanted to bring up? No, I mean, I, th I think the show has gotten stronger since episode one. It's, it's not like my favorite show in the history of television, but it's fun, solid, well-done prestige television. I think that's sort of... I mean, we talked about how this isn't true in the first episode, but it's sort of unique for a video game adaptation, all right? Give it its props. It's fun. And I think people are watching the show. Like, I think it's... Oh yeah. yeah! Oh yeah! For sure. Uh, I think people are really watching it. So it sounds. It seems like HBO has a hit on their hands. God forbid you say anything <laughs> negative about the show because the dog piles are here. Really? And really fucking really? brutal. I didn't realize yeah. that. Yeah, dude, it's really well, fucking rough for people who do not like the show. If you don't like it, good luck dealing with the uh, hordes of uh, Twitter clickers, I guess. But <laughs> Twitter That's clickers. Um, you know, I like it all right. You know, I, I like water cooler TV. I like yeah. a good show that, like, everyone's watching so you can go into work and talk about it. If that's all for this week, that will conclude this week's episode. Jeff, where can people find more of your work? You can find me on my blog at strangeharbors.com, and you can also find me on Instagram and Twitter at strangeharbors. What about you guys? You can find me on my post-apocalyptic survival bunker. Uh, you can find me at The World's OKest Photos and Screen Agents Guild. But if you like this podcast, the easiest way to support our podcast is to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, whether it be Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or any of the other popular podcast app. If you are listening to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, please do us a favor and give us a rating, a good rating. It helps to get our podcast out to more people. Yeah, if you have any questions, comments, suggestions on our episode on The Last of Us for episodes two and three of the, of the first season, feel free to shoot us an email. Uh, we like getting listener mail. Sometimes we read it on the pod. And with that, we will see you guys next week. See you next week, everybody. See you guys then.